Dr. Ilyas Chochoa stands at the forefront of groundbreaking research that delves deep into the intricate world of chromatin and its pivotal role in gene expression. His meticulous exploration into the nucleus's organization, particularly the nuanced differences between the A and B compartments, has shed light on the complexities of the gene gating mechanism and its profound implications for gene expression. Beyond the technicalities of his work, which encompasses the innovative use of tools like CRISPR-Cas9 system and confocal microscopy, Dr. Chachua's dedication to understanding oncogenes signals a beacon of hope in the relentless battle against cancer. His insights into the potential therapeutic targets for cancer driven by a deeper comprehension of the gene gating mechanism are nothing short of revolutionary. But it's not just his scientific acumen that sets him apart, it's his unwavering passion and curiosity. Inspired by the intricate relationship between chromatin organization and gene expression, Dr. Chachua's vision for the future of cancer therapy and his predictions about diseases potentially linked to disruptions in the gene gating mechanism showcase a mind that's both analytical and visionary. Here's our conversation with Elias Chachua. Welcome to the Spectrum of Science. this love of biology sparkle within you? Actually, it started early, like I would say when I was um, around 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was always interested in studying cells, cancer, diseases, you know, yeah. how to cure diseases. And I had this objective in my mind to study biology, you know, and to um, research, you know, hopefully to find some cure, at least for cancer, for example. That's what drove me actually to do biology and pursue these um, studies. Okay, so did you have any mentors, any books that guided you? Not really. Um, Actually, I was sometimes I watch uh, documentaries when I was at that age, right? So that like gave me like push, you know, to to do it. I was very excited. Okay, I knew this is my future. No, I can't do anything else. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, determined I will do biology and research. Yeah, okay. You have been in Algeria, Ukraine, Belgium, Sweden, and then Turkey. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey you had? Yeah, it, it, it was a very long journey, actually, yeah. yes. Uh, so, um, I graduated from Algeria. I did uh, biology, then biochemistry from University of City in Algeria. Then um, I moved to uh, Ukraine to uh, pursue the studies, to do master's. Because basically in Algeria it wasn't easy to go from bachelor to master's, so this transition was almost impossible. Of course, because you have you know um, two three thousand students, you know, and they accept only like ten twelve. Oh, no. It's very competitive, very yeah. competitive. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, I went to Ukraine. Then I had to study Russian first. Mm-hmm. So I learned Russian in six um, to nine months. Right. Not fluent, but I yeah. can understand, I can speak, yeah, exactly, <laughs> to make contacts, you know, to express myself. Um, 
Yeah, then I went uh, to Simferopol. So initially I went to Zaporozhia, you know. Okay. Then I went to uh, Simferopol in Crimea, where I did my uh, master's there. So after getting my master's, I tried, uh, decided to move to Western Europe, and this time I chose Belgium. Okay. Uh, yes, um, in Belgium actually, there where my uh, study uh, career started actually. Uh, yeah, uh, I was very lucky to work with uh, um, uh, a PI, very uh, prominent PI, and he works on blood disorders. Mm -hmm. So um, it was very active, so um, I had the chance to work with him, so I spent five years there to get a PhD. Yeah. Um, and I worked mainly on signaling, you know, how cells signal. So, for example, if you want to make more blood cells, you need a cytokine that circulates in blood yeah. to bind the receptor in the cell, activates it, and can make, for example, more platelets or red blood cells, right? Yes. And this is not that simple because it's a cascade of uh, molecules that get activated. So we have the ligand that binds the receptor, then the receptor yes. activates other molecules that can shuttle to the nucleus, then induce genes, specific genes, for these uh, cell types. Okay. Um, yeah, but after that, I decided to switch the, 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 the field, so I went to genomics. So I decided to study 3D chromatin organization, which has no link with signaling almost. Yeah. <laughs> and at that time, it was a new field. I'm still. Um, so this field has started in 2003. Then I joined 2017, so it's like only 15 years. Yeah, very young. Yeah, exactly. So I went to the US first for quite yeah, space. Which? Yeah, it's a long story actually, um, because my uh, objective was and still to understand how we acquire mutations. Yeah. You know, you know, these mutations are responsible for many diseases, right? Of course. Especially cancer. So how do we get these mutations? Is it random? People they say it's random. Yeah, definitely. But I've heard that before. Yeah, but the problem, if it's random, so we have uh, three billion nucleotides in your genome, mm -hmm. right? So if it's random, you may get a mutation, right? Yeah. But for me to get the same mutation is almost impossible. So we need three yeah. billion people. So in each different three billion people, you can get the same mutation. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yes. almost impossible. Yeah, yeah. And if you look, for example, one of the diseases I'm studying, so we have a protein that is mutated at one place, mm -hmm. and I always call it like supercomputer, because you have different types of mutations that affect that region, but the output will generate the same sequence. They are called frame shift mutations. Okay. So they yeah. change the, the, the sequence of the protein right, okay. completely, not only one amino acid, but you change like 30, 40 amino acids. Yeah. So, and you don't mutate in the same place exactly the same nucleotide. So you mutate here, 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 and they are all insertions and deletions. But in the end, you get exactly the same sequence. Yeah. So this means that this sequence is really required for the disease, right? And this is what we show actually, and what we are doing right now. So for me, this can't be um, random. So, yeah. um, and there are also some studies showing that uh, mutations are directed. So, if the cell, for example, is under stress, it will sense, for example, I don't have that much platelets, right? I need to make more platelets, mm -hmm. but maybe I don't have the cytokine in the blood to make platelets, right? Yeah. So, um, rather than dying, so the cell decides to mutate to make something, right? Uh, to just escape that uh, stress, right? It mutates. So willingly it mutates. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, That's okay. what we call like targeted or guided mutations. Okay. So they know where to mutate, but the problem here 
is that uh, before this project starts, actually, we were looking for mutations in this pathway, codeubone cytokine receptor and other proteins, right? But the strange thing is that the mutation doesn't occur in that pathway. So all the previous mutations, they are there, but these types of patients, they have this pathway active, mm -hmm. but the mutation is not there, somewhere else. Yeah. And surprisingly, the mutation is in a different protein with a different function, which is a chaperone. So basically, these proteins help the folding of other proteins. So yeah. for the protein to take its 3D shape, it needs to be folded properly. Mm -hmm. And this car reticulin, it folds it, gives it uh, the proper 3D structure. Okay? Yeah. There are folder proteins. Exactly. There is something wrong with them. Exactly. Okay. This mutation makes them, yeah. uh, we call them a rogue cytokines. Yeah. Okay. You know, okay. They are rogue, they are not cytokines, but they play a role of cytokine. Yeah, yeah. But you definitely need this sequence, you know, the newly generated sequence, which is hydrophobic and positively charged. So if you change this sequence to other amino acids, it won't work. Oh. So you need exactly that sequence. And now we are studying why are these sequences required. I see. I yeah. See. Um, so this kind of answers the question, but I didn't really see why you switched. Uh, yes, exactly. I didn't finish yet. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. So since I, I have this idea of guided or targeted mutations, yes. so um, at that time, I still have this idea actually, but I need to verify it, right? Yeah. So what I thought, okay, how, how cells get exactly this mutation? And for example, if you take patients from different countries, they don't know each other, they are far away, right? No relationship, but they get the same mutation. Yeah. How, how do they get this mutation, right? So at that time, I thought that you have a repertoire in your DNA. You know, we have non-coding DNA, right? So our, our genome is 3.2 billion nucleotides, but only two, one to two percent is coding. For so you imagine some genes are the guided mutations, basically. Yes. Saying if if something is wrong with this mutate. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly what I mean. Let's say you have a gene here, and between gene and the gene, you have like huge. Uh, distance that is not coding, right? Yeah. We call it non-coding DNA. Mm -hmm. So my idea it was that um, this non-coding DNA serves for something. So mm -hmm. you may have the information in that DNA, it's a code, right? That yeah. tells, okay, hey, in case of emergency, we can like put okay, this mutation this. exactly yeah. here, okay. in this part of the protein, right? Yeah. So they go there by looping. Mm. You see? So, because this region, if you take it in linear uh, scale, yeah, there are like a million base pairs. Yeah. Maybe 10 million base pairs, they are very far away. What they do, they loop. Okay? So, when they loop, they do recombination. So, mm. they, instead of this normal sequence, they have the sequence that should be mutated too, right? Yeah. So, they need this mutation. So, then they, they change the original one with the one that is needed for activation, for example. Yeah. That's why I moved to 3D chromatin organization. I see. I yeah. See. It fitted your project. Exactly. Yeah. I see. I, yeah. I see. Then you, uh, you, are, you were telling me about the USA journey part. Yes, okay. yes. Yeah. 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 That's actually one third to um, a lab, but unfortunately it wasn't very successful because the lab was moving, you know, um, and they had some problems with accommodation and stuff like that. So I spent nine months just moving the lab, you know. Oh. I didn't work. So yeah. basically I considered it as, as lost time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, then I decided to um, head back to 
Europe, at this time to Sweden, Stockholm, Karolinska Institute. Um, and there I worked also on 3D chromatin organization, but not on these mutations, of course. But um, I studied how 3D chromatin organization can affect gene expression. Yeah. Yeah, so you know our genome is not, so the sequence is not random, okay? Mm -hmm. So everything has meaning, right? So, but this linear sequence is not enough to uh, express the genes normally, okay? Certain genes, they need to be expressed, others repressed. And if the expressed ones, they have to be expressed at a certain level, right? Oh, yeah. So if you increase, for example, the expression of oncogene, which is the gene that makes cancer cells, you can get cancer, right? Yes. So um, I worked on one cell line that has this MIG gene, mm -hmm. it's cancer cell line. So what we discovered was, was really striking and expected. So um, when we take this cell line and the normal cell, right, and we check the expression of MIG, which is oncogene, yes. right, so we obviously find that these cancer cell lines, they express more of that protein, which makes sense, right? Yeah. So they need more of that protein to push the cells to grow. Course. than white type. But now, you can imagine that this cell makes many copies of that gene, right? Mm -hmm. Transcription yeah. should be higher to make more uh, protein, right? Yes. But what happens was the opposite. So if you take the normal cells, you see how many copies of that gene they make is higher than cancer cells. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So the, the number of copies you make in normal cells uh -huh. is higher than cancer cells. Yeah. which doesn't make sense. But in the end, if you check the expression, mm -hmm. the ones that remain active, you will find that cancer cells have more than normal cells. Okay. This is what we call transcription and expression. Yeah, that's why the idea actually makes even more sense. Yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah. And now, what we figured out is that these cancer cells are very smart. Why? So, you know, the genes are inside the nucleus, right? So when the gene gets transcribed and remains in the nucleus, RNA, messenger RNA, mm -hmm. is less stable in the nucleus. So it gets degraded. But if it goes to the cytoplasm, it gets more stable, right? Yes. So what cancer cells do is that instead of uh, leaving that gene in the, in the nucleus, inside the nucleus, in the middle, they take it to the nuclear pore, which is very close to the cytoplasm. Uh -huh. So every copy that gets synthesized goes to the cytoplasm, right? It gets more stable. And it was just random mutation, it wouldn't be able to do that. It's not mutation here, it's oh, just yeah. another mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these cells, normal cells, they make more copies, but okay. since the, the nucleus is a uh, um, uh, medium where RNA gets degraded easily, so all these copies, they get destroyed. Mm -hmm. But these cancer cells, they are smart, instead of expressing it here, they take it next to the cytoplasm, and then it escapes the degradation. Is it just selection in cancer? The ones that can't do this doesn't survive? Or? Uh, they could, we haven't studied that yet, but uh. yes, that might be the reason why we have these uh, cells, because yeah. eventually the cells that have this, what we call gating, right, they will have more mRNA and they will divide more, right? Yes. So they will take over normal cells. So the yes. definition of the gating is this one. Yes, you know, if you take the nucleus, you know, you have the, the cell, right? Mm -hmm. You have in the nucleus inside, right? Yeah. So the communication between the, the cytoplasm and the nucleus, of course, we are these uh, pores, like mm -hmm. channels, okay? Yeah. So when RNA is transcribed in the nucleus, it should go to the cytoplasm, right? Mm -hmm. To get translated. So it passes through this nuclear pore, okay? Yeah. So what happens in this case is that um, 
cancer cells take the gene itself, the DNA, close to the nucleoport, to the gate. Mm -hmm. We call it gate, okay? Right, okay? That's why we call it gene gating. So now the gene is close to the nucleoport and it can easily get its RNA to cytoplasm, right? Mm -hmm. So that it can it's, it's transit. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, the, you went into the research too early, my okay. questions were yeah. later, but it's okay. that's why I'm going to move back to the life or the, your journey part. Mm -hmm. um, how did your interests evolve over the years, except the one you mentioned me? Mm -hmm. And what can you say about mastering a specific topic like you did afterwards and mm -hmm. discovering more each time you do research? You mean if you work on different topics or one topic? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, actually, I always like uh, try to explore more things and discover, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this is the proper way to do science. So if you stick to one topic, mm -hmm. you may be successful, right? But you can't combine different topics together, right? Yeah. So you can't come up with new things. So let's say I'm studying cell signaling, right? In my PhD, if I continue cell signaling, okay, I will remain in signaling, right? Yes. Signaling, molecules, this, that. Mm -hmm. But now I did genomics and 3D chromatin organization. Mm -hmm. Now I can make combine them both. Yeah, so bridge between them and combine them yeah, yeah. and come up with new thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, now what I'm doing is to study the effect of um, signaling pathways on 3D chromatin organization. So, yeah. when, once you get, the, for example, the signal from the receptor, what happens, as I said, you activate all this cascade and you go to the nucleus. What happens in the nucleus is that you change the 3D com, uh, conformation of the DNA, right? So, now I'm trying to understand how, for example, normal signaling, right, in normal uh, people, yeah. uh, is, affects 3D chromatin organization versus oncogenic signaling, for example, when you have uh, mutation in signaling pathway, will they change 3D conformation at the same uh, level or it will be different? So if you can find this difference, then you can uh, target it. So and maybe even if you can stop it. In the exactly, yeah, yeah, with drugs. That's what we are trying to do, exactly. Of course. Yeah. That's why the more um, knowledge you have in different fields, the better idea or better vision you have yeah. on what you are doing, right? But yeah. um, how many should one explore then? Um, I mean, as much as you can. For example, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. Um, like our undergrads and grad students, right? They can go and uh, do some um, internships, right? So you yeah. explore this, this, that, and you learn, but you have to work on it. So mm -hmm. if it's an internship, like three, five months is not enough, I would say. Oh. So you have to prepare yourself and work on that, right? Right. And have an idea. Then, let's say you do your master's on a topic, then you switch your topic. I mean, okay. it should be related in biology, of course, maybe, yeah. right? Not the physics. <laughs> yeah. Then you can, for example, PhD, you have four to five years. Um, you can learn more, right? And of course. I think during the PhD time, you can, like, uh, um, kind of start being a scientist, you know? You learn the critical thinking, you know? Um, so if you are a PhD student, you are not uh, a technician. So normally, you should come up with new ideas, right? So you go there, you have a group, right? You are a member of a group. And um, this PI or professor, he doesn't expect you to just do experiments, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So he expects you to come up with ideas, right? And help the group entirely, yeah. so, and interact with others. So let's say you have experience in this field, then another field before, in masters, then you get to the third field, now, let's compare you uh, with somebody else who has experience only in one field, right? Yeah. 
So, for example, this guy will come up with ideas that are related for, on that topic, exactly. Um, but yeah. for you, you could like get a technique that you learn from another topic and yeah. use it. Apply it. Exactly. Yeah, of course. So this is how, and this makes you like uh, gives you advantage, you know, mm -hmm. even within the group, it gives you advantage. Yeah. You can publish more, for example. You can go then to a better lab and do postdoc, for example. Yeah, you can. Yeah, exactly. Understand more. Exactly. How. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the milestones that you had, except the one that made you switch to 3D chromatin from the cell signaling? Um, were there any masters or undergrad, or when did it start at PhD for you? The first milestone. I would say start that uh, PhD, you know, because I started working. Because before that, I didn't have any. Uh, uh, wet lab work. I didn't yeah. even work with pipettes, you know, don't yeah, know yeah. even how to hold the pipettes. Um, yeah, I had like a good theoretical ba background, you know, I knew this, what is this, what should we do, for example. Yeah, okay, I can't imagine what experiment should we do, mm -hmm. but if you take me to the lab and give me the pipettes, I can do the experiment. Yeah. I was like, you know, shaking and, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why I said like, uh, PhD for me is the, the start point for uh, career. Yeah, I yeah. see. Um, if you could go back to your undergrad years, then what would you do differently, maybe, or what did you do differently that was kind of different from the others? Um, yeah, this is the thing. Um, I was, I think, ahead of others in, in, in terms of, for example, we study biology, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember my colleagues were like studying you know, for the exam preparing, yeah. but we study like general biology, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Anatomy, you know, I study plants, animals, oh, like yeah. chemistry. I was doing that like not as good as them, but mm -hmm. I remember I go to um, you know um, internet cafe, right? I read about stem cells, the oh. gene therapy, you know, these very advanced topics. What's you know? happening in the exactly. research? Yes, exactly. I was like reading, 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 mm -hmm. you no, know, too, too much. I mean, I wasn't that successful in my you know, grades. I was like a regular <laughs> guy, but. Like, uh, and then I, I realized that I was prepared to do research, you know, yeah, earlier than sure. others, because yeah, I was, you know, more Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, the thing that I would say. I mean, if you have a passion for something, you have to follow it, right? Yeah. And you, you don't have to be, don't die it yourself. I do this, that, this, no. Single task, just go for it, right? Okay. And do it as much as you could, right? So yeah. spend your time, especially when you are single, right? Mm -hmm. Young, you have more <laughs> energy. So yeah, nothing can stop you, especially if you love it. You, know? yeah, um, you can spend time. You like it, you enjoy it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you, you spend night, like um, uh, time at night or daytime, right? You can work like all the time because you like it, right? Yeah, of course, nothing is stopping you. Exactly, pulling you back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you have any, did you have any disappointments in academia? Maybe your time in USA was kind of one. Uh, do you see any place where there should be improvements? The, the question is like more about maybe you shouldn't be have to move the lab to another place, for example, because there should be funding anyway, though that could be a frustration, exactly. for example. Yeah, um, yeah what, what can you say about more, or I don't know, uh, maybe there should be more advisors, more lectures, more less time for PhD because it shouldn't be maybe six years or 
Uh, actually, yeah. my PhD, I think it was good because I published very good uh, papers there. So yeah, yeah. five years, it was very good. No, okay. uh, I could have finished in four years because mm -hmm. I had my uh, first author paper. Uh, but the only thing I think I might regret, I see it's like um, something that I should have done but I didn't do, was to study bioinformatics. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was a wet lab Maybe guy. Yes, exactly. So I was like just going to uh, getting these crazy ideas and go and test, you know, <laughs> the lab you know, all the time thinking about these things. But I didn't know that bioinformatics is that important, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, um, during my PhD, we didn't have any uh, courses, so just work, hundred yeah. mm percent. -hmm. So uh, I think I regret that. So because I didn't spend time on bioinformatics, and as you said, the second thing is this. Um, U.S. Uh, journey. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't that fruitful, you know. Yeah, yeah, I cannot. That's the thing. It. Yeah, you still did some important work for the lab. Exactly. Yeah. Also, uh, there is one thing very important in, especially in academia, mm -hmm. is to interact with different researchers and PIs. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's what I always tell students: <clears throat> don't take from me knowledge about my topic. No. Mm -hmm. That one you can just go, you know, uh, download the review, read okay. about it, right? You can do that. I can give you, but you can go and read it. Okay. But what you can get from the PI is the way of thinking, okay? How he thinks, how he analyzes things, right? Yeah, so, yeah. a point of the podcast is actually this. Exactly, yeah. to, to like um, motivate your uh, critical thinking, right? To enhance it. So, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, that's because you have different PIs, they think from different angles, right? Yeah. So then you have to acquire these things, right? And in the meantime, you have to develop your anger, right? And you, this is how um, it should be if you want to be a scientist. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. And also ask questions is what I always tell my students. And, you know, I bring them to the, the, the office. Okay, we have this problem. What do you think? What should we do? Okay, because, you know, the problem is that we, and most of the people, I'm also among them, so we feel shy, okay, maybe this is stupid, stupid questions, stupid idea, but there is nothing stupid. Yeah. They think it's stupid, you know, they feel shy, no, they don't yeah, ask yeah, questions. That's not good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Most insightful questions start yeah. from it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Even if you go to even Nobel Prize like uh, words, you know, you, you find people that published in normal journals, you know, mm -hmm. but they get Nobel Prize. Yeah. And they start from, as you said, from very basic question, you know. Yeah. For example, if you take, like, for example, the, the gravity, right? Mm -hmm. So the basic question, what was the basic question from Newton? Why the apple fell down on yeah. the apple, right? It's yeah. basic, okay, you can solve it's stupid, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely intuitive, yeah. because you already yeah. know. Exactly, yeah. but you have to ask that and pursue, and especially when you are a master's or undergrad or PhD student, mm -hmm. why you have a mentor or you have a PI? To help you, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> to put you on the right path, right? So, yeah, okay, I will ask questions, you know. Um, okay, if I'm wrong, then he can correct me, right? But if you become a PI, you will not, not have anybody to correct you, right? So then, these decisions, they cost you a lot. Because let's say you have an idea that is, doesn't make any sense, right? So you apply it. So you will spend money, you know, and time, and everything, you don't get any results. But if you train yourself before with your PIs, right, mm -hmm. you ask them, okay, why we don't do this? I oh, no, no, we can't do this because of this, 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 right? Yeah. Now, you know, I oh, no, no, we can't do it, right? Yeah. I still remember when I did, like, stupid things in my, especially PhD, but I still remember them now. So if you ask me to do that, I said, no, don't do uh, it, because yeah, I did, I, I remember, yeah. I remember very well, you know, when you make mistakes, 
you never forget. Yeah, there was this saying of, I think, um, Max Born or no, no, Niels Bohr. He says, um, the, a master, an expert is the person who did all the mistakes there yes. was in that field. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, this also goes back to the things you mentioned just now. So, what is the most fun part about doing the research for you? The, the ideas, the execution, yes. the writing? And no, the ideas actually. The ideas. Yeah, and the conflict you get sometimes with the PIs, you know, they, they tell you, oh no, it doesn't work, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when I switched to Belgium, you know, yeah. um, I was like very well prepared. I read everything, you know, books, you know, reviews. I would like, I go uh, the PI, she has a very small lab first because I went to a small lab, then I moved to another lab. Yeah. I was like every day like coming up with uh, new ideas, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't we try this? Why don't we try this? Why don't we try this? You know, she she likes that, but it was too much for her. Oh yeah. She said, Elias, no, you can't do that in my lab. You have to move to another lab. I said, okay, great. Then yeah. I moved to a bigger lab where they have means, right? <laughs> yeah. And this guy was very welcoming, you know. Mm-hmm. He wants some someone who is like enthusiastic, you know, motivated. That's great. He wants to work, a yeah. lot of ideas, right? Yeah, I find my place there because this guy was okay. I was like when I discuss with him sometimes, he is like my student. Mm-hmm. He listens to me carefully. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a good idea, or maybe you can change this and that, you know. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, he was like uh, someone welcoming new ideas because he has meanings, you know, and he wants to discover stuff, right? Yeah. So that's why the environment also is important, right? Yeah. So to get in a good lab, you know, a person who is not dictator in science, I want this. No, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, when you have a creative environment, it definitely helps. Exactly. Course. Yeah, someone who like allows you or listens to you at least, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So the ideas, yes. that's, that's good. Um, how did your expectations of yourself change over the years? What was the mission you had in mind when starting? And um, can you compare those? Yeah, actually, this is the thing. So science, you don't drive science. Science drives you. So you expect something, right? I want to do this thing, you, know, you have a plan in your hand, you want to do this, this, this. Yeah. But while doing the experiments, you get different results, right? You may change your path. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always like that. So for example, when I started my PhD, I started with one project, but end up doing something completely different. Of course. You, because you are driven by the results, right? Mm-hmm. By science. You can't drive science yourself. You just follow science. Okay, I found this. This is interesting, but this is more interesting, right? So then I will do this. So you want to do this initially, but this is better, right? This gives better outcomes. Then it drives you, actually. You think that you are a good scientist now, can do what you want. No. If you think that you are a good scientist and you do what you want, means that you are not a good scientist. Do what science tells you, or what results tell you, right? Yeah. Because we have this sometimes toxic environment where the PI wants to get these results, but doesn't work. No, the results go on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. It, the results tell something, and the PI wants to get something else. Yeah, I know is. people who spend like several years just to convince the PI, mm-hmm. but they never get it, no, no. except if they fake the results, yeah. to get him satisfied. Yeah, yeah, and that's the... That's yeah, the that's horrible, part. that's yeah. horrible. Okay, let's go to the research stuff. Okay. Um, can you briefly explain what 
what the chromatin is and why its organization in the nucleus is important for gene expression. Yes. You went into that a little bit, but still. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, first of all, what is chromatin? Yeah. So, we have DNA, right? As I said, so chromatin is located in the nucleus. So, um, eukaryotic cells, they have, like human cells, right? Mm -hmm. They have a cytoplasm, this is the cell, but inside it you have the nucleus. Yeah. So, the nucleus hosts DNA, which is our genetic material. Yes. It should be protected, right? So, but the problem here is that if you take that DNA and you uh, stretch it out, mm -hmm. make it linear, it measures two meters. Yeah. And it should fit only in into six to ten micrometers. Yeah, very, very dense. Yeah. yeah. But that's not the only problem. Mm -hmm. So you may be able to make it in one cell, but let's say have we have different tissues, right? Let's say you have liver, we have lung, okay? So the thing is that this uh, um, organization, the chromatin, fitting the chromatin into the nucleus is not random. So yeah. every gene or every place should have a certain position. Mm -hmm. So, and the cells of the same tissue, they should keep the same position of the genes, you know, 3D position. Yeah. Because if this, the, the gene is like in the nucleus inside, it gets active. If it's outside, you know, to the lamina, it gets inactive. No. So the position matters. Yeah, of course. So genes that are inside, for example, in liver cells, they are, they are outside of to the periphery in lung cells, right? So we have to keep this, let's say, up. 10,000 genes that should be in the periphery in both lung cells, so you have hundreds of millions of cells, they should keep these 10,000 genes at the periphery, but the other genes should be inside. So when you go to um, um, liver cells, it's completely different. You have different set of genes that should be outside and different set of genes that should be inside, and this is very flexible. So the 3D, the position of the gene within the nucleus is, uh, is just, yeah. Is, yeah, I see. Yeah. Um, but are these the A and B compartments in the nucleus? Exactly. Or? Yes. Ah, yeah. Yes. But, but yeah. What are some differences in them? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, as I said, this uh, chromatin is two meters, right? Mm -hmm. So to fit into the nucleus, you first need to um, wrap it around the histones. You know, this is the first level. You pack it. You need to make it very dense, right? Yeah. So you put it into histones. Then these histones they should get close to each other. You know, mm -hmm. compacted. That this compaction is not enough. Now you have to form loops. Oh, yeah. You have to put it in loops this way. Okay? And then these loops um, make other domains, which we call uh, topologically associated domains. So yeah. basically, it's like this shape, okay? You have this loop, right? Mm -hmm. And the genes within this loop, they can be activated, but they can't uh, be in contact with other genes. Yeah. Okay? So they have different loops, right? So, and every loop has its specificity. So we have enhancers or elements that activate these genes. In this okay. loop, they can activate genes only in this loop, but not genes in the neighboring loop. Mm -hmm. You see, so isolates. This enhancer is specific to this promoter. Yeah, of course. Because if you have the vice versa, you may activate a gene that, is, that should be repressed in the second loop, right? Yeah, so there and are this, a lot of restrictions. Exactly. Boundaries, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Boundaries. Yes, and here we have these, uh, as I said, loops, big loops. Mm -hmm. uh, they can uh, form A or B domain. So okay. compartment A, or um, you have the compartment A, or A compartment, which is for active chromatin, the genes that are expressed. Okay. But you have the B compartment, which are the genes that are um, not expressed. Yeah. And B compartment is more dense. You know? When the gene is not expressed, it's not open. 
okay? Yes. So it's closed, it's like tightly closed, okay? Then transcription factors can't come to the gene to activate it because it's very close, uh -huh. right? But when it's active, it gets released, right? Now you have factors that come there and they make copies. Oh, great. Yeah. great. Um, how does the gene gating mechanism work other than the part you mentioned and why is it crucial for gene expression? Is another question we have. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's, that's an excellent question, I would say, because um, actually gene gating has been discovered before us, but in insects, for example, and yeast. So what we discovered in our lab was the gene gating in mammalian cells, right, and in cancer cells. Mm -hmm. So now the question um, is the gating uh, specific to me or to oncogenes or other genes also are gated, right? So this we still don't know. We are now working to see okay. if these genes are gated or not. The second question is, for example, um, at the developmental stages, right? So when you have embryo, for example, or mm -hmm. anything that develops, right? Yeah. So at each stage, you have certain genes that are expressed. Oh, of course. And they are highly expressed. Are these genes gated or not? Right? So yeah. because the cells or um, nature tends to preserve energy, right? Yeah. So yeah, this is what we are interested in actually. So to see at different stages of uh, development, you are expecting to see. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's the direction you are going. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. About gene gating, actually, we found that there are factors. So how yeah. does this chromatin or gene goes to the nucleopore? Mm -hmm. So you may have something to pull it, right? Yeah. So we found um, many factors, but one very interesting factor is called CTCF. And this CTCF is, um, is actually architectural protein. So this CTCF, with, the help, with other protein called cohesin, they make this 3D uh, uh, shape. shape of DNA, right? So if you don't have these two factors, you lose this 3D, you lose gene expression, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and this CTCF, we found it in an enhancer. So we have a gene, let's say have a MIC gene I talked about, yeah. to be expressed, it needs an enhancer, something to enhance it, mm -hmm. right? To make it uh, expressed at a higher level, right? Yeah. So what happens is that CTCF um, is located at that enhancer, right? When, once it binds, it binds to the enhancer, then it loops with MIC, right? Yeah. Then, the, the nuclear pore component will bind to CTCF mm -hmm. and then it puts it to the nuclear pore. Oh, yes. Enhancer is also some kind of a carrier. Yes, yes, exactly. And when you mutate this site, only this site, like uh -huh. uh, five nucleotides, you lose the gating. Oh, oh. Yeah, now the cells become exactly as white type, oh. normal cells, just like four or five nucleotides. Interesting. So uh, that can happen at random, though, right? No, this will do it in the lab. I, so, not, yeah. Uh, what I'm asking is this: if it's just five nucleotides yeah. that need to be mutated to, yes, um, can it just start happening within me also? Can I start developing even more? For example, more gating. Um, you, the previous part you said was embryo has probably a gene gating mechanism also, yes. and gene gating mechanism is directed by this. Uh, enhancer yeah. protein complex. CTCF, yes. um, then it can, if I mutate yes. at, a, at a random position and five nucleotides of me changes, that can happen. It's not random, no, because each factor, we call them transcription factors, they have binding sites specific. Uh, yeah. So you, you have to, you know, this 
factor, let's say this is super enhancer, and the factor will bind here, right? How it binds there? There is a specific sequence that recognizes. So yeah. this one recognizes, for example, this sequence A, T, C, Z, right, for example. Mm -hmm. So if you imitate this A, T, C, G here, now this factor will not be able to find, to bind. Okay. But if I mutate here, it will not affect. But let's say that's not um, that's not correct yet and it doesn't bind. Yes. Then it suddenly mutates and it can bind now. Again. Yeah. Yeah, then you, you can acquire it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or if you acquire it somewhere, for example, you, you prevent the binding here, but it binds here yeah. by mutation, right? Another side that is nearby, yes, this might also lead to gating. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, can you explain the role of the nucleopore complex in the gene gating mechanism? Yes, what we have shown actually, as I said, this CTCF will bind to DNA, right? Yeah. To the gene and the enhancer. Mm -hmm. Then you have uh, another component of the nucleopore called ILIS okay. that binds with to CTCF, they interact right, together. Then this binds to another component of the nucleopore called NUP133. So this makes like a chain of uh, transcription factors that pulls it to the, the, the nucleopore, right? Mm -hmm. And this nucleopore is a huge, you know, it's a big gate, it's like uh, rounded, and it has many, many, many proteins. It's more complex than you would expect, I guess. Yes, yes, it yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, do, does it have to be this way, you think, or uh, is, it, is there something, uh, um, the local minimum of the energy may not have been found in there, or? Um, well, because it's yeah. too complex to me. Yes. There are a lot of elements involved. Yeah. Do you think it's the lowest energy you can achieve this moving? Without this with Um Maybe without using uh, this nuclear core complex, for example. Yes. Can you achieve the same thing with lower energy? No. That's the thing. That's the lowest energy. Yeah. That's the lowest. Yeah. Otherwise, what would you need? Um, you need all the like, complex of proteins that will bind, right? Oh, yeah. and you need kind of uh, something like uh, an engine, right? And this needs a lot of DNA, ATP, right? Energy. Oh, yeah. So you have to take that one with like free uh, 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 complex. So you take it there free and you have to maintain it there. But if you attach it, no need to maintain it. You don't need any force to push oh, yes. it, right? Yes, no need. But if it's free, then you would need more energy. I think this is the purpose of these cancer cells, is to save energy, okay? Oh. With least energy, make maximum uh, proteins that are required for their... Um, right. uh, but why are some, some triggers exist, for example, to uh, make the cell go less, go into the lowest energy state? For, for example, why, did, why would nicotine do such a thing? Um, why would nicotine tell the cell to suddenly let's go into the protection mode and use the lowest energy possible? Yeah, that, that's something different because here you are. Uh, so this the, the thing. So cancer cells are tending to proliferate, right? Make more cells. Yeah. Right? So now you have you can achieve that by uh, a lot of energy, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to use a lot of energy. But these cells, they found another way to save energy, right? Yeah. So now, you save energy, it's true that you, you spend energy, but you save the maximum, right, to proliferate. In the other case, is that what you are doing is that you are just telling cells to spend less energy, but they will not proliferate. What is the outcome? There's nothing coming out, right? The cell remains the cell, right? 
But in this case, you get mini subs, right, with least yeah. amount of energy. Yeah. And is it does uh, is this have been shown, or is it just an intuition you have? Uh, for cancer cells, or for cancer cancer cells having less energy than normal cells, no, actually, less energy than. Yes, if you take that um, that particular point, mm-hmm. we showed by gene gating, for example. But in general, they consume more energy because you have more cells, right? Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. So if you take the cell, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I see. Yeah. I see. Um, how do you utilize the CRISPR-Cas9 systems in your research in gene gating mechanism? Yes, um, this is what I told you for CTCF, you know, the one that binds to super cancer. Yeah. So how do we study that? Why did we decide to study CTCF? Uh, yeah. So we have other proteins that bind there. We have like beta-catenin, TCF4, we have many proteins, right? Yeah. ALIS, uh, nucleopores. But since CTCF plays a role in 3D chromatin organization, right, and when it moves from the, the nucleus to the periphery, it changes conformation, right? Yes. Conformation and position. Mm-hmm. So we decided to mutate that site to prevent CTCF from binding to that site, right? Yeah. Uh, so to achieve that, we should use any technique, but the best one and the easiest one yeah. is CRISPR-Cas9. Yeah. And you, you know already maybe how it works. So we need like um, to guide RNA by the sequence that will guide Cas9, which is a protein that has DNA. You need to guide it there, right? And once it's guided there, it will cut DNA, right? Mm-hmm. So in this case, I know that it will cut here. The cells will come and fix that cut, right? Yeah. So how do they fix it? You have this, what we call homologous combination. So they need a template, right, to fix it, reference, right? Yes. So for that, we give what we call donor DNA. So we give a DNA with exactly the same sequence, but you mutate only that place to what you want, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So now, when the... replicate that part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, okay. Do you, do you have any special tricks of using CRISPR, or do you use it by the textbook? No, actually, you have multiple um, uh, techniques that have been developed recently. Ah. So we have, like, I mean two mini techniques. So you can use it, for example, to cut DNA. Yeah. You can use it to cut RNA. You can use it to uh, just prevent expression. You don't cut anything, right? You stop that gene from being expressed. If you use it to other protein, the repressor, and you guide it there. So when Cas9 goes there to that gene, this repressor will repress that gene, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can use it, for example, to label other proteins. Let's say I want to see the proteins that bind to that enhancer. We don't have only one, we have many, many proteins, right? We identified few of them, but we still ignore like maybe 99% of them, right? So now you can fuse this uh, Cas9, call it D-Cas9, dead Cas9, it will not cut, with a protein that will label all the proteins that are in the vicinity. So when you get it there, it will bind, it will biotinate or mark all the proteins that are there. So by knowing the proteins that are marked, you, you pull them down, right? And you can know which proteins are present there. Yeah. So you have different, different like uh, the, the applications. I'm just having the idea of is um, then you, if you can stop some genes from being expressed, and uh, you can just block some of the some of the part you think that causes causes the, not causes the cancer, but these uh, mutations blocked, then you um, you kind of try to try to 
make the cell cancerous again and it doesn't work, you kind of cure cancer by blocking some genes, right? So genes that cause mutations? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question because we don't, this is the thing here. The problem is people, they think that mutations are random, right? Mm -hmm. But my goal is, to, as, as I said, I believe that these mutations are guided, right? Yeah. So how are they guided? I believe that, as you said, there are proteins that are expressed mm -hmm. and these will guide the mutations, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a good thing. So I can, I could in the future use Cas9 to stop these proteins, right? Yeah. As a proof of concept, right? If I tell people, hey, these proteins of these genes are involved in um, metagenesis, right? Directly metagenesis. Yeah. Uh, in vivo, so then I could use, as you said, this Cas9 to go and block them. So once I block them, you should get less mutations, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, why is this difficult to show then? Because we, I mean, it's Probably still theory. Probably you had the same idea before. Yeah, but like, it's theory. I mean, yeah. maybe I'm the only one who's thinking about that, right? That there uh, are yeah. things. So we we didn't. Sh there are some papers actually showing that some proteins, when they are overexpressed, mm -hmm. you have like. Uh, uh, increased mutation rate, right? Yeah. But how to identify them? All of them. So yeah, now you do go one by one, but it's not direct. So, yes, so much. Yeah, but for example, for me, one way, if I'm lucky, to um, show that is that is to go to the site where the mutations are um, introduced, right? Yeah. So if these proteins, if I'm lucky, and these proteins are still there, right? I can use, as I said, this uh, Cas9 method, right? Yeah. I direct Cas9 there, the Cas9, the dead one there, it will label all these proteins, right? Yeah. So I can identify them. Mm -hmm. Then I will go, as you said, again Cas9, block them one by one, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Cas9 really changed your whole system, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is confocal microscope? What are cones? Confocal microscopy aids, and can you describe how how they um, how they are used in visualizing the chromatin organization? Yes. Um, so, confocal microscopy is a microscope that you use, for example, to uh, see light. Okay, in yes. cells. For example, in our case, we have cells. Mm -hmm. So, what we do basically? How do I know that MIC gene is at the periphery? Right? You have to see it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, what we basically do is that we label MIC gene, so we use oligonucleotides, right? Nucleotides that will go to the MIC gene, yeah. right? And these nucleotides, they are labeled, they have labels, okay? Like, let's say, green signal, red signal, right? So, they go and bind there, right? And then this MIC, where the MIC gene is located, it will become red, right? Yeah. Because it incorporated these sequences with red light, right? Mm -hmm. So this way, I can just look the microscope, then I say, okay, it might be towards the periphery, right? Yeah. Or inside the cell, right? So, and you can visualize that in 3D. Mm -hmm. But to know if it's uh, close to the nuclear pore, right? Now, you have to label also the nuclear pore, right? Yeah. So then you see the proximity. So if, if this, for example, let's say this is red, right? And this is... Uh, green, it yeah. will get yellow when they are together, right? Oh, yeah, you can see yellow, right? Yeah. When they are far away, you will see green and red, right? Yeah. So this way you can see this locus is close to the nuclear pole. We have a lot of techniques also more precise, um, but um, yeah. 
do you get the signals in the visual spectrum or do you have a more wider range like infrared? You have whatever you want there. Yeah. Depends on the, the video for you use. So if you use red, green, you know, it depends which which one you use. Um, it's like a large spectrum. Is it's enough in your case, I guess, yes, to yes. use the visual spectrum. Um, the normal spectrum. Yeah, you can use, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, what insights does the chromatin conformation capture essay provide about the uh, um, three-dimensional organization of chromatin? Yeah, um, actually this is a very good question and very long. So, yeah. as I said, this field, I would say, it started in 2003 when uh, the first paper was published, I think, in science. So. As I said, so for the gene to be expressed, it needs an enhancer, right, usually? Yes. So, but you can have one gene and you have 10 enhancers. Mm -hmm. How would you know which enhancer is activating this gene? Yeah, you don't. It's not easy, right? Yeah. So you may have, for example, in one cell type, this gene is driven by this enhancer, number one, huh. but in another cell type, it's driven by enhancer number six, right? Yeah. You may have also what we call um, active chromatin hub, where multiple enhancers, like five, six, they come together mm -hmm. and they activate that gene. Yeah. And um, just for example, in our gene gating um, uh, paper, what we show is that you have, let's I think, eight enhancers mm -hmm. that do the job, that, like, that, that interact with Nick, okay? So, but which one is doing the, the gating? So, yeah. so they all interact, but yeah. at a certain point, mm -hmm. they all interact, but the only one that makes the gating is the super enhancer. Yeah. But we show that, for example, there is another enhancer, it will initiate the activation of MIC. So super enhancer now is far away, okay? Yeah. So MIC now will interact with this enhancer, we call it D, right? <laughs> or number four, or, yeah. right? <laughs> it will interact with it, it starts transcription, then it, it moves a little bit, when it gets close to the periphery, now you have the switch of the enhancer. Now it switches the enhancer because the super enhancer. Yeah. Why we call it super enhancer? It's right. super. <laughs> it makes even the transcription higher, right? So instead of getting, let's say, one thousand copies, I can get one million. Oh. So the normal enhancer like makes it boosts transcription, but the super enhancer it makes even more, right? It's like kind of a cluster of enhancers together, not one enhancer. Many enhancers together coming together. Uh, are these enhancers also involved in cancer? Yes, usually, yeah. Uh, you, you can find them in uh, stem cells, for example. That's why we want to study, for example, in developmental stages. You know, when you have development, you may have these uh, super enhancers. Um, but yes, they are um, associated with cancer. Uh, yeah. Is are the normal normal enhancers become suddenly super enhancers? Yes, you may acquire sometimes. You know, there is in one cell line, um, like just they acquire a few mutations, and that um, enhancer they become super enhancer. That's how they have been discovered. Oh yeah. So basically, the super enhancer binds more proteins. Okay. Uh -huh. So more, it recruits more uh, people, right, to drive <laughs> yeah. the, the transcription. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now, how to know which enhancer is? Interacting with me, for example. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you need this 3D uh, conformation right, to know. Mm -hmm. So, um, so to know, for example, if you have one enhancer and one gene you want to study, we use what we call 3C. Okay. So this technique actually allows you to detect, for example, the interaction between two loci, for example, promoter and enhancer, right? Mm -hmm. But in this case, for example, when we have like. Um, um, 
10 enhancers. How would we know? You can't study, you can't study them one by one. Yeah. But it will be tedious. Mm-hmm. It takes most of your time. So you use another technique called 4C. 4C allows you to know all the, the enhancers or the elements that interact with your gene. Okay. But you have one gene of interest, right? You use it and you uh, discover or detect all the other elements that interact with it, right? It's more powerful. But let's say you want to study 10 genes with 50 enhancers. You should use this 4C 10 times, right? Yeah. So in this case, they developed uh, what you call 5C. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this allows you to detect the interaction between your known genes and multiple enhancers. But if you want to map the interactions genome-wide, you don't care. Any contact between two elements you detected, you use high c Okay, uh, this is the high c So basically, any contact between chromatin elements genome-wide, they will be detected. Yeah. It's yeah. more powerful. Then you have the, the chat or um, high chip. So the difference, for example, um, high chip uh, is the same as the chat just uh, a better technique. So it allows you to detect the interactions uh, genome-wide, but only the interactions that are mediated by specific transcription factor. Let's say you do high C, you, you find all the interactions, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't know which proteins are mediating these interactions. Yeah. I talked about CTCF earlier, right? That it mediates these interactions. Let's say you want to know only these uh, interactions mediated by CTCF. Yeah. Now I have to target CTCF first as a protein, mm-hmm. put it down, and see only the interactions that are mediated by this uh, factor. Yeah. Yeah. And this is very powerful. Uh, what, um, what are the other things you can do with it? Are there more? or uh, With what? With the with this technique of high, I don't know, I missed the pronunciation. Uh, high chip. High chip. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is it. So you want, for example, let's say um, you want you want to see how, um, for example, CTCF, you know that it involves in cancer, for example, right? And you want to know where exactly, right? Yeah. Where it mediates wrongly, for example. For example, in my case, CTCF, it binds to the super enhancer, right? And makes this too, yeah. right? So, but I don't know. So, for example, when I delete CTCF from cells, mm-hmm. I lose this gene gating. I lose the, yeah. this overexpression. I know that CTCF is involved, right? But where exactly? I don't know. Uh, so now, I can pull it down from normal cells and cancer cells and compare. So CTCF mediates looping between this gene and this gene and this gene, but all these are shared with normal cells, right? Common. They may not be involved, right? Yeah. But it also mediates the interaction between super enhancer and MIG. This is present in cancer cells, but it's not present in normal cells, right? Yeah. That is, oh, okay, maybe this is the, the target, right? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, why, are, uh, why did you want to study oncogenes in the first place? Is another question. Why, um, why cancer rather than any other disease? Yeah, because it's the most biggest one, or yeah, yeah, you know, you you, you hear it every day, right? Cancer, cancer, yeah, cancer. Yeah. Everybody gets scared if you say diabetes. Yeah, okay, but if you say cancer, oh, oh yeah, you know, people get scared, right? Yeah, of course. So um, yeah, that's why I mean, more. Uh, I mean, most people are interested in cancer, right? If you talk, for example, about cancer, everybody will listen to you, right? Yeah. Because of course. yeah, nobody <laughs> likes cancer, right? Uh, yeah, it's. I mean. Also, um, funding-wise, if you want to get grants, you have more grants in the cancer field than yes. other fields. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it attracts more, uh, I mean, um, um, uh, foundations to give money, you know? Mm-hmm. 
because cancer is cancer, you know, they want to fight cancer, you know, and yeah. you have the problem of cancer also, you have different types of cancer. So when people hear cancer, okay, it's cancer. But within one cancer, you have like maybe hundreds of cancers. Let's say blood cancer, it's exactly the same, mm -hmm. the same driver uh, mutation, but it's different from one patient to another. Oh yeah. It needs, yeah, specific cell. For example, the drug that you, someone can take, other people cannot take it because we not have it. It's not the same. Um, do, can you uh, also connect this changing from person to person view of the cancer to your idea back again? Um, if it's random, you would expect yeah. it will change from yeah. person to yeah. person, but if it wouldn't be random, why would it change from person to person? Do you have any intuitions on that? Just yeah, no. yeah. yeah, now it depends on where the patients get the mutation, mm -hmm. right? So let's say someone got it in P53, which is the gene that uh, protects the genome, right? It's called guardian of the genome, right? Yeah. So this, this gene, again, this confirms that it's not random, uh -huh. because this gene is mutated in 50% of cancer patients. 50%, if you take any patient, two patients, you will find one of them has 53 mutation, right? And P53 is maybe 0.0001, the whole P53 entire gene of the genome. And, and you have only one nucleotide, so we go like 0. maybe 10 zeros one, right? So that, why that mutation occurs in these patients, right? So it depends where you have the mutation. You get it in P53, for example, or you get it in driver, uh, um, for example, in uh, signaling pathway, for example, Jack, start pathway, you can get it in RAS, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Depends where you get it. But even if, let's say, these patients, they have the same mutation, like, um, let's say, we talked about caroticulin, right? Uh -huh. But the way you treat them might differ as well, because that's not, not the only mutation. Okay. We have what we call driver mutations, the ones that drive the disease, right? And you have passenger mutations. So passenger mutations can be different, right? Yeah. Even the timing when you acquire the mutation uh, makes a difference. So let's say one patient has these two mutations and the other has the same two mutations. But this patient developed this mutation first, then this mutation first. But the second patient developed this mutation first, then this mutation. So this makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. You can't treat them like in the same way. They might be different completely uh, cancers. Alright. Alright. Um, so, uh, do you see a lot of Manipulation of ideas in molecular biology because uh, since it attracts a lot of money, for example, I want to study something random and to get funding, I connected to the cancer by yeah. a thing. Yes, do you see. Yeah, yeah, we can see even worse actually. Um, oh. Yeah, because yeah, this is the thing. This is stress of getting money, funds, right? So some people at the end they may fake data, and this is like very yeah, well that's the, that's the worst thing. Possible. Yeah, 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 and they like um, do it regularly. You know, they just want to show something. And there is one famous uh, story I always tell, yeah. which is um, which happened in Japan. Mm -hmm. So um, there is one field called stem cell field. Okay, mm -hmm. so stem cells are the cells that can give rise to different subtypes. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. Those. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, if you want to make, for example, um, a normal cell, you like reprogram it to be a stem cell, right? Yeah. Which is very beneficial. Mm -hmm. For example, let's say you have a 
patient with um, hematopoietic stem, stem cell mutation, right? Yeah. So the stem cells of the blood are mutated, right? Mm -hmm. So these ones will always get cancer, okay? So we need to replace them with normal cells. Of course. Or make transplantation. Mm -hmm. So we can take stem cells from one patient, person, healthy, and give it to that patient, right? Yeah. But the problem here is that that patient will react. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. It would match. They will kill them, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but the best way is to take, for example, take it from, the person. from you, yeah. reprogram it, and make it um, yeah. hematopoietic stem cell, right? Of course. So yeah. this was the Most breakthrough, and the guy Yamanaka got Nobel Prize, I think, 2006. Yeah. Um, and what happened? Um, Sadly, is that um, there was one uh, postdoc in Japan. They were working to find because here, you know, you need to manipulate to add plasmids, genes inside, right? Do many things. They want to get like better way to make that right easier. She, they claim that uh, when they change the pH, so they just put the salts in a dish, and yeah. by changing the pH, somehow um, they can reprogram the salts. Yeah. Yeah, that was like a yeah, breakthrough. Would, would because, be awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the problem, they don't know where to fake the results. So because this one, everybody was looking for it, right? Yeah, so then everybody, they published in Nature actually. Back. Prestigious journal. Oh, Nature didn't realize this. No, no, they can't come to your lab. So. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, they trust you, of course. But when other um, uh, researchers tried to um, replicate, it. replicate it, they couldn't. Yeah. They tried, tried, then they came to the lab and they looked how she did it and she could even duplicate it herself. Okay, yeah, it was like uh, a scandal, you know? Yeah. Then, I, I don't remember if the head of the institute or the PI like committed suicide because of that. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That's really, yeah. That's really terrible. Yeah. So it, it happens in science. I would, it's a stressful environment, so you have to be ready for it. You know, yeah. if you don't tolerate stress, you know, just don't go to it yeah, because yes. everything depends on you. I mean, you understand also the PI who wants to get results to get money, right? Yeah. But some PIs like they push too much, right? Mm -hmm. So for you, either you get fired or you know you fake the results. Like please, your PI, right? Yeah. And this happens a lot. You just fake the results. Uh, how, how common is this um, p-hacking, I guess you can call it, or data-hacking uh, in, in molecular biology? Because I, I kind of don't know. It, it's, I mean, it's not that, I mean, not every lab is doing it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, maybe the PI doesn't know. You know? Mm -hmm. The student wants to publish to get a you know, position or to go to postdoc or to you know, defend. They can, yeah, you can't really track it and say how much, but it's, it happens. It happens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Any, um, any ideas on how to fix it? Maybe. No, you have to fix people themselves. <laughs> no, that's the yeah, thing. but so, maybe the pressure of the PIs doesn't help, for example. Yeah, you can't convince everybody. I mean, the stress is stress, you know. Yeah. Okay, when talking right now, right? Okay, I shouldn't stress, but while acting, right? You are in a position to make decisions to get money or to get fired. You no. Know, yeah. <laughs> you may not, you know, tolerate Realize. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, may be. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to study the relationship between chromatin organization and gene expression? Um, you, you you kind of answered this, but yeah, yeah, we can we can move on from this actually. Um, the next question is how how do you envision the future of cancer therapy? Do you think it will be uh, person to person always, or will we find the one specific thing? That cures all. Um, I'm not 
I mean, if, if we go, yeah, it's not easy, but now there is this um, uh, immunotherapy, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, now you develop like um, cells that can kill cancer cells that you train them with dish. This is, I think, it's it's pretty promising technique that yeah. might kill cancer cells. But to get rid of all cells, cancer cells, um, I'm not sure. So I'm not expecting that field. So this is promising. It can kill different types of cells, right? But you have yeah. to train them, right? Um, but if you go to like the molecular level and you would like to develop drugs, mm-hmm. that's not easy. You can't kill all the cells, you know, all cancers, because they have different causes, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, even as I said, cancers with the same mutations, they may differ, right? Mm-hmm. And we have also what we call predisposition. So you may have some, what you call them, SNPs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which one, only one significant change in your genome, yeah. right? That makes you maybe uh, more exposed to cancer or less, right? Yeah. So that's the thing you have to take into account as well. So, I mean, cancer field is very, very complicated. So it is not that simple, you know. Yeah, to normal, yeah, regular people, you know, cancer is cancer. But to us, yes. it's not cancer, it's cancers. <laughs> With many acids, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And maybe even the, the realization would be some of them are really, like you say, not random, and some of them are actually the, maybe that's another finding that's possible out there. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is to find a common way, I mean, um, it's still, I mean, like, not realistic, but um, if we could find, for example, I talked about MIC, right? Mm -hmm. So MIC is the gate to a cell cycle, you know, that one that makes the cells recycle, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe it's crazy, but if you, for example, you analyze MIC, you take MIC itself, right? The 3D uh, conformation of MIC, because you know, um, proteins are also um, changed, right? Which are called post translational modification. It's the same gene, but in this patient, maybe it has a um, methyl group here, or you know, uh, epicatenation or something, right? So this might change the conformation. So if we could find like clear difference between normal people, right, and uh, people with cancer in this protein, for example, right, that change the conformation. And you could target that confirmation with a specific drug that might be breakthrough. So yeah, might be. Yeah. Um, will you work on this in the future? Yeah, you, you know, in science we have what we call low risk and high risk projects. Oh, yeah. So this is a high risk one. Very high risk. Very. It may work like spend millions, but you don't get anything. It's just theoretical, right? Might be yeah, crazy and right? Even this, the, the targeted metagenesis is very high risk. So if I write a project now. Nobody will uh, give me money, you know. Yes. Okay, you spend money, but who guarantees that you will get results? Um, there is more theoretical things needed for this. Um, I mean, this can work as a side project. So let's say uh, you are working on a project, right? But then you have some money left. You can utilize it, or for example, you do an experiment. You include one sample, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to not affect your research, no, to yeah. not consume a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. Nor time. So this way you could do it. We call it side project. Yeah, why not? Yeah, high risk, high gain. So it's very high risk, but <laughs> if you gain, you know, you make yeah, a good price. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but diseases might also be caused by the disruptions in the gene gating mechanism. Do you have any intuitions or predictions on that? This we, cancer. Yeah, this we still don't know. And um, um, so, 
what we did so far is only one gene, right? So now we want to do um, gene gate genome wide, right? Yeah. So then, do it also in other diseases, right? So this way we could know. There is also one thing that is emerging, but I'm not sure about the, I mean, we, don't, we didn't do any experiments, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, for example, when you get infected by virus, right? Let's say COVID-19 rhinovirus. Yeah. So the RNA of that virus will be converted to DNA. Mm -hmm. It gets inserted to your um, genome, right? Yeah. So maybe these um, the, 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 these genes of this virus it might be gated because you need too much expression, right? Yeah, yeah. So for virus you need more RNA, right? Mm -hmm. Because you make millions of them, right? Yeah. In one cell. So I, I think there is some um, I wouldn't say evidence, but some data showing that maybe COVID-19 is related to the nuclear pore somehow. So if this is correct, then you could treat also these diseases. I will at least stop or um, prevent. Yeah, pre I mean, just decrease the risk, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because if you stop the gating, you'll get less virus, right? <laughs> then, yeah. 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 But this is very far right now. It's collaborations, needs many things. Yeah, of course. Um, so, um, thanks for coming. And okay. yeah, it was really good to have you and nice to meet you. It's really my pleasure also to be here and thanks again for the invitation. Yeah. yeah I hope it will be useful for many people, inspire some of them. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, thanks a lot. lot.